What I'm going to talk about today is mental illness and the church. I um, felt strongly about this, and so I went to Bob and I said, I'm going to need a Sunday that uh, I think we need to talk about mental illness in the church. And he said, yeah, we need to do that. Um, I don't think we shy away from it, but we don't address it. I think we address it with our people. We try to do the best we can. Um, but from up front, sometimes we don't really talk about it. And I think sometimes, and with some people, if you don't talk about it, then you don't care about it or it's something that we shouldn't talk about. And that's not right. That's not true. Okay? So mental illness. What is it? Mental illness are medical conditions. They are disorders of the brain. Like a diabetic who has a malfunctioning pancreas or a person whose autoimmune system has failed, those with mental illness have a part of their physical body that isn't working as it should. That's what it is. Okay? Yet we have all these connotations and thoughts about what it is, and, and, and Lord, we can't talk about it because we don't want people to know. Think of all the functions of our brain. When some parts of the brain aren't able to do those things, then the way we think, how we feel, and express emotions, and even our ability to relate to others and perform daily functions can be severely disrupted. Like other parts of our body, the brain is fearfully and wonderfully made. Incredibly complex. It's just incredible how God designed the brain and put it together. Depending on which section is malfunctioning, what kind of brain chemicals are behaving badly, mental illness can manifest in different ways. So there's lots of different diagnoses and labels used to describe various mental illness, including, but not just, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, obsessive-compulsive, post-traumatic stress, and others. Like other illnesses, such as diabetes, there's no cure for many of the kinds of mental illness. They are chronic, and they are debilitating. However, there are medical conditions with the right medical treatments and support of loved ones and the community. Mental illness can be managed and individuals can live meaningful lives. So it's a, there's, with mental illness, it's just that in the brain, there's something that's not working the way it should. It is not... A spiritual issue. Sometimes spiritual things can affect it. But it's not 
That's not the first place to go look. It's like sickness. When you read the Bible, um, the apostles and all the people, when there was sickness and Jesus was around, the first thing most of them asked was, what sin did they commit? And Jesus never pointed out a sin in the person that was sick. He would go ahead and heal. And then he would turn to the people and ask, why were they blind? Why do you have the prejudice that it has to be something spiritual? And so I think we need to we need to be that same same spot of it's a sickness. It's complex. It's chronic. The church really struggles, and we struggle here too, with chronic sickness. What do we do with it? You know, I kind of head up the healing ministry here and believe God can heal anything. I don't think there's nothing he cannot heal. And I'm willing to pray for anybody, anything. But sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes people with chronic issues, it's like a weekly thing. And how do you... How, how do you relate to that person? Does it mean that every week we need to have half hour of prayer with them? I don't know. It's no. <laughs> <laughs> what most people say. Uh, but we also uh, need, we need to support them. Okay? Um, we need to be there, I think in our prayer lives, we need to pray for them every day. That needs to be, that needs just to be a part of our lives. Uh, and we need to believe for that. But how do we function with them on a daily basis? I think the thing for them is to let us know when they're struggling more than what they normally are. And I think most of the ones in, in our congregation have done that. Because there are ebbs and flows when it's a chronic thing that sometimes because of medicines or whatever, um, they have, they're able to deal with it much better than others. And then there's sometimes it goes kind of crazy and nothing seems to be working. And... At those times, we need to believe harder and pray and pray harder. It's the same with mental illness. You know, sometimes um, we've got a lot of medications that, that can help. Nothing is mental illness as far as medicine or the medical community. Uh, there's no healing. But they have stuff to manage. Sometimes, if you're on it on any of the medications long enough, 
sometimes you need a change. Sometimes things just don't keep functioning the way they were. And so uh, those times we need to be there to help them through, to pray, and to believe with them. But it's a sickness. We shouldn't be ashamed to have mental illness. You know, it's, it, it's not a sign we wear that says, hey, I'm broken. And I can't be fixed. No. You have an illness. And we need to be supportive. Who does it impact? It goes across the board. Young, old, poor, affluent, less educated, highly educated men and women. Uh, statistics uh, in the United States, it's estimated that 60 million Americans, one in 17, are living with mental illness. Um, sometimes mental illness can be a chronic. Sometimes it can be situational. Because of what you're going through right now, things, uh, some things... Depression and anxiety can overwhelm you, but you need some help through that. I guess the thing that, um, the one thing I really want you to hear is that mental illness impacts a lot of people, it impacts the individual but it also impacts the family, those around them. And if there's anything that I have seen through my ministry is that so much of the time, the families are ignored. We're focused on the person that has the sickness and we're not seeing that the families around are hurting sometimes more than the person that actually has it. You know, the thought comes, you know, if you have a loved one that has a sickness and they're not getting better, you feel like you can't do anything. You feel like I'd rather me have it than her. And I can't fix it. Because there's no fix. But we need to stand with the families just as much as we stand with the, the person, the individual. Just like some of the chronic illnesses... Uh, mental illness, uh, in, in some respects, even a little more, make it very difficult for people to hold down jobs. 
Is it because they're lazy? No. Is it because they don't have enough smarts? No. It's because of the symptoms that they have make it extremely difficult to be able to do what's required in any given job. What does the Bible say about mental illness? I mean... Does the Bible say anything about mental illness? Well, it depends on, part of it depends on which um, translation you're reading. Some of the modern translations use some of the words. Um, But if we look at David's life, that... um, we think about the time when his son was sick, the baby, and he closed himself off and went into deep depression. He came out of it after the son died because he was believing for, the, for his son to be healed. But during that time, he battled with deep depression Um, anguish, loneliness, fear of enemy. David's heart cried over sin and the guilt he struggled with because of it. So we see David struggling with that. We see, if you read David's life, there were uh, multiple times when he struggled with depression, struggled with his identity of who he was. Uh, But don't... Please hear what I say and not what I don't say. Okay? Because when I said David struggled at times with his identity, it doesn't mean that if you have mental health, you're struggling with your identity. And all we have to do is fix your identity and then you'll be all better. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, so just... Elijah was discouraged, weary, and afraid. After his big battle with with Baal and Jezebel, he runs off in the desert and says, it's in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, Lord? Take away my life, for I am no longer better than my father's. He just had a victory. (laughs) He just wiped out Baal and all of Baal's priests. And he wants to die. But there was fear. And exhaustion. Sometimes that plays a part. Jonah 
right? Jonah, remember? Jonah had the revival that turned Nineveh around. You know, can a city or a country be saved in a day? Jonah did it. Jonah did it. He pointed out what they were, their sin was, and they chose to turn around and do something different. And then Jonah was mad because God didn't kill him, which is what he wanted. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Sounds like depression to me. And then, you know, God reached out to him. And in Jonah 4, 9, he says, I am angry enough to die. So again, he tells God, just kill me. I think most of you know about Job and what he suffered over and over and what, you know, he really... He really struggled and even... Um, got to the point to where you know God was asking him because Job like a lot of us we feel we have to do it ourselves God is a relational God he wants to have relationship he wants us to have a relationship with him so we have to know how to build relationships. Now, can any of you tell me in which grade, in which class they talked about relationships and how to build them when you were in school? What, what about college? Did he play? Yeah. See, but aren't relationships one of the most important part of our lives? We all have relationships. Even if you want to, you know, want to, if you're an introvert and just want to be left alone, you're forced to have some relationship with somebody even if you don't want to. But because of life, you're in there unless you can go live in a cave somewhere and not see anybody. But we have to have relationships. So where do we learn relationships with the people around us, right? Hopefully, we're able to work out in relationships, this works, this doesn't work. So, you know, if you ask, if Susan asked me, does this look nice on me? I don't say, that's hideous. <laughs> or you look like an elephant. 
right? You learn quick. <laughs> That's not the thing to say. So you learn different things to say to tell her she really looks nice. Or maybe she does need to change the top or the, the bottom, whatever, if that, if that is. But you learn how to, how to build relationships. Well, so for us to build relationship that we want to have a relationship with God, how can we have a relationship with God if we can't have relationship with people around us? Doesn't work. We can fool ourselves. And I I think the church in a lot of ways has fooled themselves for a long time. It's changing now. Because for a long time, our relationship with God was praying. And so our relationship was, I ask God for things that I want, that I need. What? But asking him for something, and I will praise him occasionally. You know, when I'm in church and they're singing, I will praise him. But I'm always asking. And I remember when I first got, person told me, well, are you listening to what he has to say back? And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. Do I want to hear? What would he say? Because first, I didn't know who my identity was. And he's God. So he's probably ready to squash me. But if I keep asking, keep talking long enough, and then stop and then go somewhere else, he can't get a word in edgewise. So... Relationships, our relationships with our, the people around us, as strong as they are, as strong as the strongest one is, is the relationship we have with God. Jeremiah, have you ever read Jeremiah? Oh my goodness. That's a good one. But if you listen to Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah, and when I read Jeremiah, I feel the same way he felt, even though I know the rest of the story. But going through what he went through, why would, for a people, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah twenty fourteen. Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? So, we see, we see depression, uh, we see mental illness in the Bible. It's there. So, it's is something we need to talk about. It's something that we need to see as normal. Uh, 
normal in the context of human beings, that it does happen. We need to pray for healing. Do, do I believe God can heal any of the mental illness? Yes. I believe he can. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of it. And because I haven't seen a lot of it, it's not because of the person I'm praying for. It's because of me. Because I don't know enough. Maybe I'm not listening close enough to God. Jesus said, I see what the Father's doing. I hear what the Father's saying. And that's what I do. And I want to do that. And I try my very best when I'm praying for somebody for healing that I am listening. I try to position myself where I can hear. Because I know, one, I know if I can get in his presence, which I try to do uh, every time I pray for somebody, if I'm in his presence, things can happen and things happen. And hopefully in his presence, I can hear what he wants to do. So, I, you know, for me, it's, I just haven't heard. But I don't put the burden on the person. And I don't, I, I don't beat myself down because, it, because I say that it's my burden. I don't beat myself down. It's... Lord, help me. Help me. You know, Jesus, the disciples prayed for a, a, a son of a man, and they prayed all night for him to be delivered. And nothing happened. Jesus came on the scene and asked the dad, can you believe? And he said, Jesus, help my unbelief. It's the one place in the Bible where a person didn't believe but received the healing. But he asked for help. So sometimes we need to ask for help. We need to say, I need help. So how should we respond? Well, we need to be supportive. To be supportive, we have to know. So we have to have a safe place <laughs> so that I can come and I can say, hey, I'm struggling. Can you help me? So we have to have that safe place. We, as best we can, we need to have tools and people prepared to help those, and I think we do. Um, the other thing I want to say is that because somebody's depressed or somebody has mental illness does not mean they're possessed by a spirit. Okay? The church has promoted that for a long time, and I'm sorry that was 
That was wrong. That was stinking thinking. Okay? Because that's, that's not the case. Okay? There's something where the brain is having struggles. Okay? That's not to say that praying for people um, and like so-so, that people don't receive some help. But it's not the final answer. Okay? It's not the final answer. One of the things I think is important is, so we know a person's dealing with something. Well, then the first thing that needs to come to us, and this is across the board, is we have a person that's dealing with an issue. We need to take care of that person, but we also need to look a little further and see the family and how can we help the family. And so the family needs to be where they can receive help because their focus is on their loved one and they want their loved one taken care of. But the family needs to be taken care of because the family is with the person all the time. And it just really affects them deeply. So we need to remember that. And we need all of us to remind ourselves. You know, I think... um, My uh, experience here at this church is that um, that at times we've done a very good job, and we've done a good job because somebody's reminded us what we need to do. You know, one of us will come to the other one and say, "Hey, you know, what does a family need?" And that's good. That's what we need. None of us have to have all the answers. In fact, most of the time we don't have the answer. And that's okay. Because it, I'm not asking God for the answer. I'm asking God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for this person? We have to recognize the complexity of mental illness and that it, it uh, affects people in just so many different areas. It's not just in one area. Like I said before, it makes it hard for them to hold jobs. And again, to talk about the impact on the family. So... Uh, Mental illness is a real thing. It happens to us and it compounds. We have a thing that a lot of people deal with that is a lot of times just hidden under the surface, and that's post-traumatic stress because it comes in all forms. And the thing with post-traumatic stress... um, One, we have some medicines that can help, and we have some therapy that can help. 
it does a fairly good job if it's a one event of post-traumatic. You have an event, you're, easiest ones, you're in a car accident and you're traumatized. The uh, therapy can help that. But where we struggle with is where there's multiple cases of trauma because multiple cases of trauma, they build on one another. And when you're dealing with trauma, you're trying to get the person, actually what what we're trying to do is get the person to remember what happened and talk about what happened and change the dialogue of that event so it makes them so they're not traumatized by the event and that works and it can does a good job but where you have multiple ones it makes it much more difficult Um, I remember myself I remember when I was in the seventh grade um I really wasn't a happy kid. If you ask me why, I don't know. It was, a, I guess, a difficult time in my life. Um, now that I look back, I understand a little more clearly. But uh, my parents, we had, a um, year and a half before, we had moved to North Carolina. My father started a business, and it didn't work out, and so we moved back up to Baltimore to a different area, so I didn't have friends, and started school, started middle school. Well, middle school is the hardest, most traumatic times in lives of kids. And we really need to do something. we're doing a little bit because now all the schools, all the middle schools have counselors in them, have therapists in them. But there's more needs to be done. That's not, that's not just the answer. But anyway, so I found myself really unhappy. And I wasn't going to church at the time. And I can't tell you, I know now it had to be God because I didn't think this way. But I remember one morning and I was brushing my teeth. I'd looked in the mirror and bless you. And I said to myself, I don't have good days. I just don't have good days. And if I could have good days, maybe things would be different. And so I said to myself, from this day forward, Every morning I get up, I'm going to say, I'm going to have a good day. And hopefully, during that day, I can see something good. That had to come from God, because that was not in Bob's thinking, okay? Uh, And so, from then on, I, I distinctly remember it was... Two weeks before I had a bad day. I had a bad day. But it was two weeks. 
And then I got up the next morning and I said, I'm going to have a good day. Even though yesterday was a bad day. And in the past, if you had a bad day yesterday, there was a really good chance tomorrow's not going to be any better. And you just keep going and you have some good days, but the bad days overshadowed the good days, so you really didn't know you had a good day. Um, but I remember the next day was a good day. And from then on, that's how I live my life. But this is going to be a good day. I've had bad days. I've had bad weeks. But in the midst of them, there was good. Um, there was a time I came to the Lord. Um, I had, um, I'm just going to be open, okay? Um, there was a time in my life when uh, I tried to start a business and it was... Um, I tried to start a business and everything was going great. And we had contracts, we had everything, everything looked good. And then the economy went kaplum. And as fast as everything looked good, everything looked bad. And I found myself, for the first time, without a job. And when your hopes and dreams are gone, you don't have a job, and you have two kids and a wife, and because I was an entrepreneur, I couldn't get unemployment. So I had nothing. That's when I turned to the Lord because I was in deep depression, didn't know what to do. And um, she stuck by me. She did the best. I saw God work in our lives. I, we would go out, come back, and there would be two, three, four bags of groceries on the table. Back then, we never locked our door, so... That was a good thing, I guess. <laughs> so they could bring it in. Uh, but we, you know, I saw God. I'd, I didn't acknowledge him, but I was thankful for it. And then finally I said, you know, uh, I think I need to read the Bible and I think I need, I need to get to church. That was a struggle. Um, when I was a kid, I went to the church and um, I think when I turned 12, uh, all the kids got a Bible. So that's the Bible I had. I am now 30-something, I think. <laughs> and I still had the Bible. I had moved it all the times we moved. And we moved a bunch of times. We lived in Baltimore, and then we moved down here. So there's lots of moves. But I had it, and I knew where it was. Now, it wasn't something that was conscious in my mind, but when I said I need to read the Bible, I knew where it was. And so I'd go up in the attic, and um, 
I didn't know how to relate to Susan during that period because I'm supposed to be the breadwinner and I'm not bringing in bread, <laughs> you know? So I really struggled with relating to her. So when she would go out, I would go up in the attic and read the Bible. And then when I heard her come, I'd run back downstairs. And that went on for a month or more. And then I said, I think I really need to go to church. Well, then it was, how do you go to church without your family knowing it? In Bridgeville, where everybody knows everything. So I knew I had to say something to her, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm thinking, you know, she's doesn't want to have anything to do with church. And so I remember, I don't know, we were doing something, and out of the blue, I said, I think tomorrow I'm going to church. And you know, then I hold my breath, and I'm like, <laughs> so now, now it's going to hit, and we're over. And she said, okay, I'll go with you. And so that was the start. And through that, I came to the Lord. Let's fast forward to um, 2008. 2008, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so prayed for God to heal me, and that didn't happen. So I needed to go through the different procedures that the doctor said you have to go through. And... Uh, I also needed to take, I had to have radiation and I had to have chemotherapy. Had to do both of them at the same time. Um, after they did that, then they were going to do an operation and then I'd be on chemo again. Well, what I found was, which was really strange to me, I would have short periods of time when I would be depressed. I'd be going along, everything would be fine, and bam, I'm at, the best way I can describe it, I'm at the bottom of a hole, and I can't reach the top. I know if I can get up top, I'm all right, but I can't get there, and there's nobody around. It would last for 10 or 15 minutes, and then be gone. This started happening. It started getting more frequently. Um, so I went to the, my primary care doctor and I explained what was going on. I said, I really think I'm battling some depression. I, I'm in the business. I know what it is. I know. I had to point it out you. you. Well, yeah. You acknowledged what I was feeling because I knew what I was feeling. We told you you were depressed. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was that much of a problem. But I was worried about it. Um, so, uh, so he gave me medication. And I took medication, and medication took care of it, for the most part. I am still on the medication. Because I find, when I try to cut back, my brain doesn't work 
that way. You know, there's, there's receptors in, in your brain, one that releases the chemical and another one takes it up so that it keeps a balance. Well, if you have too many of one or the other, that's when you get depression. We know that. So we know we can give you medicine that'll bring the level up. So I'm on, to, I'm on the medicine because it allows me to function the way I need to function. I don't go telling everybody about it, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because everybody doesn't want to hear it, you know? But people do need to know. Some people need to know that just because I might be up front here sometimes, I'm no different than anybody else. The first of the month here, uh, it was Communion Sunday. Susan wasn't here with me, which she hasn't been here with me some other times. This time, it happened to be she didn't. She was, there was a job she needed to cover for somebody, so she worked Sunday. So I was here by myself. We're in worship, and all of a sudden, I feel completely alone. Now, I could look around and I could see people that I knew loved me, that I knew cared for me, that I knew if somehow, if I could get to them, things would be okay. But I was all alone. And I remember thinking, I don't want to take communion alone. So what are you going to do? And I said, God, I don't know what this is. I know what I need, but I don't know how to get what I need. And about that time, Elijah and Sidonia came around the corner, and I saw him. And I just reached out for his arm. And I said, can I please take communion with you? Can I please take communion with you? Of course, he said, sure, come on. You know, that, it's great. Come, come. And I remember taking communion and just crying through it. And he prayed, had no clue what was going on. But that broke it. It broke it just like it came. It broke it. I don't know what that was about. I'm still asking God to show me. I think there's more into it than what on the surface, but I'm, I haven't found out yet. But those things happen. Now, I was don't really know how I was able to reach out to his arm. I know, um, I knew if I could do that, I'd be all right. But there was everything inside of me saying, you can't. But I did. Um, 
I know when, uh, when I start feeling depressed, I know I have to change my thoughts. I know how to change my thoughts. Uh, it's not always easy to change my thoughts. You know? You're having a thought you want to change. If you just say stop out loud, it stops the thought. Then you have to replace it with a thought. And you have to already have the thought in mind so that your brain can go, that thought stop. When thoughts stop, you think of this. And you think of that, and it's usually something, usually it's prayer for somebody, somebody I'm really praying for because I have the passion for, so their name comes up. So I'm going to pray for them. So I start praying for them because I'm passionate about that. And so that just gets me going in another line. And then somewhere down the line, I get distracted and I go into something else. So I know how to do that. But sometimes it's a real struggle. You know, even with the medication, sometimes it's a real struggle because I do that and the thought comes back and I do it and the thought comes back and it gets tiring. <laughs> but I know where the answer is. And I know, you know, sometimes, God, I need your presence. I need to get in your presence. And I've trained myself to get in his presence. I can get in his presence. Even when I'm not doing so well, I can get in his presence as long as it comes to me to do that. Sometimes my mind doesn't think of that. So what I wanted to do today was just to say, hey, there's mental illness. It's just a sickness. And it carries no connotations with it at all. It's just another sickness that we have to deal with. And, and so... You know, so if the statistics is there's one in 17 that deal with mental illness, that means we have people in here dealing with mental illness. And so we need to be kind of aware of that. And when you see people struggling, try not to just think it's, they just don't have their life together, you know. But there's something going on, and is there anything we can do? And don't forget the family. And it's okay to come to somebody and say, hey, I think I'm dealing with depression, or I'm dealing with anxiety, or, you know, I've always dealt with OCD, where I've got to do things over and over and over. Is there any help for that? Because I don't want to have to do that the rest of my life. And yeah, there is. There is some hope. Okay? So, I hope that just keeps us, one, the church is aware of mental illness. We, we want to help. We want to do what, what we can. And it's okay. If you have it, doesn't mean you're less of a person. Just means you're one of us. That can be scary. Okay.
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Papa, I ask that you would help us, help me, and help our congregation to wonder, to recognize when, when people are down or when they're dealing with something, to be able to give them an encouraging word or a hug or whatever, whatever there's needed, to be able to go over and say, hey, um, what do you need today? What can I... What can I do? Do you just need somebody to listen um, and not try to fix everything? We don't have to fix everything. Sometimes the greatest thing we can do is just to listen and say, yeah, that's a difficult spot. So, Papa, I just ask that you would just help us with that. I ask that you would help if there's anyone that is dealing with it and they're really struggling with it and don't know what to do. I ask that, Father, that they would have the courage to come to ask to get guidance on what to do or where to go to find the help they need. But, Father, I thank you. I thank you for the miracles that we see here. I thank you that, Father, you, you will give us um, more and more clarity on how to help people in chronic situations so that we can do a good job in walking beside them as they walk through things. So, Papa, we love you, and we worship you, and we give praises, and we have joy in the midst of everything because you are love, and we know that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.